Welcome to Hot Off the Press, a podcast that provides knowledge and emotional support for new and aspiring printers. I'm Jillian of Studio Soprano. And I'm Mariah of Mariah Creates, and we are two letterpress printers who believe in sharing our knowledge and learning together. We're here to help bridge the gap between antique printing methods and modern design. So hang up your apron, put down those palette knives, and let's get into what's hot off the press. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Hot Off the Press. We are joined by Shelly and Max of Concord Engraving in New Hampshire today. And Concord Engraving was founded in 1933. They specialize in flexographic and letterpress polymer. And we are talking all things plate making and pre-press today. Uh, welcome, Shelly and, uh, and Max. Thank you for being here. And uh, yeah, we're so happy to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having us. It's really nice to put faces to names because I have emailed with both of you a lot <laughs> the past oh, two sure. years. So I'm really excited um, to have you guys here. But yes, Mariah, let's let's dive in. Yeah, let's start off and just get like a really quick overview of Concord Engraving, maybe their history and how you guys got started with the company, et cetera, and your relation to it. So um, let's get a little background. All right. So uh, Concord Engraving has been in my family uh, for I'm the fourth generation. Uh, my grandfather, my great grandfather started it back in the thirties, back when letterpress was the only way to print anything. So, uh, we have some deep roots in letterpress. Um, he actually moved up from New York, I believe, and worked for another engraver. There used to be lots of them in every town. And, uh, he ended up starting up his own shop and ended up being the last one around. So, but we've, you know, the way printing has uh, progressed through the years, uh, we have made every necessary technological change and uh, kind of ebbed and flowed with the industry as far as providing uh, pre-press for uh, multiple different types of printing uh, in order to stay alive and relevant. I'll yeah, piggyback on challenge. that a little if it's okay. Of yeah. course. Um, yeah. No. Um, so Max and I have two kids together and our oldest is almost nine. And it was about when he was six months old, I was working for another retailer and Max said, you know, I see an opportunity for you to uh, join the family business and grow um, a particular division, which was the letterpress division. At the time, we were really um, big with our Flexo customers, but we really didn't have much presence in the letterpress um, industry at that time. So when I joined a years ago, it was primarily to grow, um, you know, that portion of our business, which, which luckily has, has been very successful for us the last eight years. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah it's kind of, we were just talking to, uh, Bill Corcoran, uh, they have a company from what they were founded in what 1940 or something like that, Jillian, mm -hmm. uh, we yeah. were just talking to him and it's really kind of wild to think about the the recirculation of letterpress, how it they started out with a Chandler and price and a Heidelberg and, they now have a whole bunch of Heidelbergs, uh, platen presses, even though, you know, a lot of their business is, is bigger quantities and things. It's kind of come back around. So it's really fun to see that and companies like yours that have survived both the up and the down and then the back up again. So it's kind of cool to see. Um, so do you think like is the majority of your business uh, flexographic plates, photopolymer, like what's the majority of what you guys do? What's the largest part of your, your production? Uh, I would say volume wise, it is flexographic plates. Um, yeah. you know, it, it's just the market is bigger and the plates are bigger and the square inches, you know, um, yeah. format sizes are huge, you know, up to 60 inch webs that we're able to accommodate. Um, but 
as far as you know volume of customers there's so many letterpress customers thanks to yeah. my wife <laughs> you know that that is her specialty is reaching out and um you know and, and making those connections and lasting relationships so uh there are so many of you guys out there and it is so cool to see what everybody is able to do and everybody has their own niche and um and you know skill set and it's very cool it's a very satisfying part of our business yeah i think to date if 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 i'm recalling the number correctly i mean we've serviced close to 600 different letterpress printers and that is everything from um you know your your big time shops that have actual storefronts to these you know people who are literally um ordering 10 dollar minimums and printing them on a tabletop press in their garage so <laughs> it it is really nice um to have such a wide variety and be able to help so many people um you know, to continue to keep letterpress alive. But when I first started working here, I swear I just sat at my computer all day long and I would just email, 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 begging for business and would keep my fingers crossed and come in the next day. And I would have two emails back and be so excited. And now <laughs> at this point, I mean, the, the letterpress community is so tight. Um, the word of mouth has been so great that really we you know, I fail to market us enough. Like I need to be better about doing more on social media and those sort of things, but it's just, the ball is rolling um, so quickly on its own, just from word of mouth and, um, and in the letterpress community that it, that's been really great for us. Awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. how I found you guys. Um, a fellow printer and I were just having a casual conversation, um, over Instagram. And then she was just like, Oh, I really love my plate manufacturer. And I was like, I never, like, I just have been ordering from boxcar. Cause like, that's when you hear of. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then she, she told me about you guys and I sent that first email and it's just been a really great relationship ever since I love working with oh, you we love and we love that. having you as a customer. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> Um, okay, so who makes up the team over at Concord? So we're a pretty small team, actually. Um, currently, there are six of us. So it is um, Max and myself. Um, and then we have a plate maker, Charles. We have a lead artist, Tina. Um, we have our letterpress prover extraordinaire, John, and then we have another like swing, uh, swing man that helps in all areas, helps with plate making, um, chemicals, those different types of things, Mike. So we're, we're a pretty small staff. I mean, Max has done a great job at, um, bringing us up to date with the best technology so that we really have the machinery that can run and, and, you know, and the, the machinery does most of the work for us after a certain point. Um, but yeah, a little small, intimate team of five, six. Yeah. <laughs> That's really impressive. Cause you guys also have like a, an amazing turnaround time. Yeah. So like yeah. from the outside perspective, I would assume you have like a massive team and like a massive production line, but. Well, we, I mean, some of our equipment does a lot. That's been one of my big things, especially with, uh, you know, the, the shortage in labor and everything. I've been looking for ways to make everything we do so much easier and quicker and uh, with less hands touching it, because honestly, the more hands that touch something, the more likely it is something is to go wrong. It's, uh, you know, letterpress polymer is very fickle. You got to think it's washed out with water. So there's water in your skin and your hands, the less you touch that material or, you know, it, it, the better off you're going to be with a quality product. 
So everybody does their job and the equipment hopefully does it because it is manufacturing at the end of the day and things do break and we run into problems, but you know, it's, uh, we have a good team, a really good team. And, you know, although everyone here has their own individual responsibilities, everyone is cross-trained. So at any point in time, you hear a machine going off and somebody's not busy, they can, you know, put down what they're doing and they can go back there and, and you know, address the machine, pull the plate, those sort of things. So I think that has um, contributed to a lot of our success because we just, we really are just like, we're one big, big team that works together and piggybacks off of each other and really help, you know, helps each other out throughout the day. But yeah, we, we joke with the turnaround that woo, it gets a little tight. It gets a little hectic in here in the afternoons. So I'll say I think we're it's flying. <laughs> yes, we are flying around the office. But I mean, ultimately, when we started this, um, you know, gosh, nine, almost nine years ago at this point, a big thing was that same day turnaround. You know, we needed to enter the market. We needed to be competitive. And we found out like the best way to be able to break through to people who did not know who we were and have them give us the opportunity was to be able to have that low minimum and to meet that quick turnaround. You know, we, we say here that there's no more expensive time than press time. So we realize when uh, customers are waiting on plates, you know, how costly that can be. And ultimately we don't want to be uh, contributing to anybody's loss. You know, we want to get it to you as fast as possible so you can get the job and get it out the door. Yeah. I, for the most part, contribute to my own loss by always needing to overnight my plates. <laughs> hey, listen, and I always we, talk about that. It never yeah. fails. It never Rushing fails. Overnight I'm, everything all the time. I yeah. always think I'll be able to get to it like two days prior. And then it's just, it's chaos. And then I'm like, well, now I need them. So... I know. And you see which how shipping rates have increased, um, you know, and what you see sometimes what these two pound overnight packages cost, you just think, wow, if you could just have one more day, but I mean, as a business owner and a mother and a, a just a person in life, like I know sometimes there's just no more days <laughs> there really, yeah. you know, yeah. there really isn't. Um, so that's why we're happy to, to be able to try to push it out Take as, some of you know, as fast as we guys. can. Yeah. 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 Well, we love it and trust that. me. That's <laughs> and trust me. We we have our own loss too. I mean, we say that um, there's we say there's no mistake unless it makes it out the door. So we do our best to have diligence throughout the day to catch everything that we can. And it's it is a process, but it's not a perfect process. So things do happen. But ultimately, for us, we don't consider it to be a true mistake until it reaches the customer. So we try to really minimize that as much as possible. Yeah, I'm so glad you bring that up because that's actually. Um, something that I'm really interested about. I feel like when you don't really understand the process or you're not a part of the production of something, you don't realize like how much goes into it on that back end. So for example, Mariah and I have clients who bring designs to us and we print for them and they may want to send us paper and it may astonish them how much paper they have to send us because they don't realize that you lose a lot of the material due to misalignments or improper like registration, or maybe there's just a defect in that sheet. So we yeah, have that gap. Very yeah. Yes. We have that yeah. gap with some of those clients of like, we know how much material we may lose. So I'm sure you guys have that as well of like, you know, you may lose so much material. Like what does that look like from the plate manufacturing side? I mean, we're, we're very efficient. Um, but yeah, I mean, things happen, as I said before, you know, it's washed out with water, so it is fickle. Um, and then we have to scour over everybody's files, which Shelly is the best at, uh, and finding those small dots and fine lines, you know, your line weights and thicknesses tolerances are different from 
uh, one material to the other, like a 152 plate is going to have need thicker lines and bigger dots uh, than a 95 plate because you got to think that the polymer is now like a uh, like a tower and that tower is twice as high. You can't have it the same you know width all the way up. Uh, you're just going to lose those dots and lose those thicknesses. And you know it's not only based on that, but it's based on what's around that image because yeah, maybe you can hold a smaller dot in one area because there's a bunch of letters around it, you know, there's, but it's, you know, it, it is quite fickle and, um, but we're really good at managing it and making sure that what you guys get is what you want. Yeah. I would say one of the things that I think benefits Max and I is because it is a small team. I mean, we are in the trenches every single day here working every single day. And so we can really see the best way to maximize our material, to maximize our timing, to maximize our money. So sometimes I'm going to have enough volume that it's going to make sense for me to run a full film and, and start knocking it out that way. Sometimes it's going to make more sense for me to piece it out and run it on scrap. If scrap films, you know, if that's what I have for the day, you know, so we really try to be strategic when we're building our flats so that we can maximize the material we have. Because sometimes, I mean, you know, if you have a sheet that's 16 by 22, that's the size, right? And somebody orders, you know, a 15 by 19. I mean, it becomes challenging at that point because you might not be able to use the excess of that scrap. And then how do you handle it when it comes to billing? Because you don't want to bill them for the full 16 by 22. So, I mean, I always say here, we have a process, but then we have a process to the process um, for when we want to, you know, lay it out a little bit more strategically for ourselves. Yeah, that's so smart. And so is that um, for the photopolymer is 16 by 22, the max size? Uh, no, that's no. a, that, that's an A2 sheet. We run, okay. we can run an A1 sheet, which is what's twice that 33-ish by, you know, 34-ish by 20, you know, whatever the, the, I should have it memorized by now, but yeah, it's, it's right around 25 by 30. <laughs> yeah. The, the yeah, thing about so the cool. 16, the thing about the 16 by 22, the A2 sheet is because the sticky back comes on a roll. It does only mm -hmm. come in a width of 16. So when customers are building maybe larger ganged files and they're, they're wanting to know like, Hey, what kind of specifications should I stick with inside? I typically say the 16 by 22, just because when it comes to finishing and shipping the plate at the end, it's, it's much easier than shipping, you know, this massive, um, you know, 30 by 40 plate. Um, and then, you know, you have challenges sometimes when it comes to proofing something that size and you know, yeah. just yeah, finishing most, it off, but we most, can, we can make big, big plates. <laughs> no, nobody out there really prints them. So, you know, to find somebody that prints more than an A2, you know, it's, it's pretty yeah. rare. Uh, we don't do very many, but right. You know, I mean, yeah, proofing we, press can only do an A2. So, you know, we yeah. get to proof it in sections and stuff like that to make sure it's. I think we were talking, was it Mark that has like this giant press at the printing museum, Jillian? Do you remember yeah. that? He either has it or he's seen it or something. Yeah, yeah but he told he's us about this it. massive press. It's like you would need that to proof anything larger than, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like there's like two of those in the country, probably. So, yeah, yeah I'm not, like, I would say I can, probably fine. Yeah, I'm like, I can make it and I can inspect it closely, but I just can't proof it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, a few of those. And, it, and then I also like it was really helpful. Uh, one time we were talking, Shelly, and you mentioned like, how the packaging of it, like the FedEx envelope is nine yes. by 14. And I was mm -hmm. now, now like my art board that I have, like I have a template set up that I drop all my plates on. 
nine by 14. It's just a bunch yeah. of nine by 14s. And it's like, if I don't make it all onto this one, then I separate it out to that other one. And, and then that's that way the first I know. thing we always say is yeah. put it in eight by eight and a half by 11s, nine by 14s, put it in something that fits and ship, you know, one of those yeah. nice envelopes. Yeah. Best yeah. way to save money. Yeah. I think that's a, a thing that separates us as well. I mean, obviously we've got the speed on our side. We've got the pricing on our side. I like to think we're friendly, um, but little it's little things like that. Like I'll have a customer that'll send me a large gang file. Maybe you, for example, and I see, Hey, she's not printing this all at once. It's a little oversized. I'm going to make one cut straight up the center. So it fits. It'll still ship for, you know, that cheap flat rate and arrive in those two days. Um, I think larger companies, they don't have the ability to do that because they're large and there's so many people and in the process that, you know, those, those things don't get done. It just gets wrapped in a package and shipped ground instead. And maybe it takes a couple of extra days and the cost is twice as much, but you know, for us, we real, like, we want to try to keep your costs as low as possible. So being able to offer that flat rate program and doing little things like that. I mean, I think it sets us, that's, it's something small, but it sets us apart. And as a person who loves to online shop, but hates to pay for shipping, like <laughs> I always hate when my customers have to have these huge shipping costs. Like, trust me, it is not me wanting to make money on shipping. I yeah. literally, I, I just, oh gosh, I, oh, it kills me. Um, so yeah, I love that. I love that you brought that up because I think it's just like a little detail that kind of separates us that we're willing to kind of go that extra mile. And, you know, I want to do whatever it takes to keep the people who are ordering from us profitable and successful. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And I feel like now's a really good time to mention a few of those other like experiences I I've had, cause I've wanted to try out, um, embossing for the first time ever. And y'all really helped me like figure out what I needed to do. And, you know, I had a few sample plates made and, and your advice was super helpful on that. And then, um, so for our listeners, like they're very responsive when you ask questions and that like standard two day flat rate shipping is a lifesaver because you just know that like, okay, if I order my plate today, they're going to be here in three days. It's like not a big deal. I don't have to ask for it. Um, so yeah, like all of those little touches have really made being your customer, like such an amazing experience. And I would hundred percent agree that really sets you apart. We appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, okay. I want to dive into some of like the technical things. Um, what is the most challenging part of the process for creating photopolymer plates? Exposures. So it's actually the contact between whether it's a film or a digital plate and the amount of light. So there's a thing called a Stouffer scale, and it's really critical to hit a certain number on that scale. Um, if you go a little too low on light, maybe you could drop a line or a dot. You go a little too high, maybe some blocky letters like an A with a little opening on the A, you know, in the middle. And that could fill in on press um, because what it does is it affects the shoulder, the shoulder being the difference between the print area and the bottom of the plate. So it will make that uh, either steeper or uh, wider. Um, and that will affect how you guys lay ink, especially with crash printing. Uh, it's very difficult to control your ink to not actually get on the shoulder of your plate to begin with. And then you add, uh, you know, a thick paper and crash impression and everything else, you know, you, you can get stuff to fill in. So uh, we QC every plate with that Stouffer scale uh, on top of the, the proofing and Shelly's Eagle Eye and all of those things. So 
you know, that's our, our imaging is second to none. Um, you know, we image everything at 4,000 DPI and we use a, uh, ablative film, not a silver chemical based film, um, that produces hazardous waste and things like that. We're full digital here. Um, and you know, that's, that also really sets us apart, but because we're, it's so easy to rely on our imaging and, you know, our washouts are washouts. Um, but that is the most critical step is that exposure and finding the right time and uh, power with the lights to then hone everything in so that you guys get what you need. Wow. And as you, I'm assuming like you guys bring in more equipment, you know, over the years. So how, like every time you bring in new equipment, is it like kind of starting from scratch the way like Mariah and I feel that way about presses, like no press that we print on is the same. It's so. the same, no. Yeah, I mean it depends and it goes back to that, you know, it's the exposures. Um, and then also I have a, a new toy here, um, which I can, that's it right there. So what that does is oh, wow. it's, it's an inline uh, letterpress washout. So you make your exposure, you put it on a sticky sheet and you put it in the front of it and then it will wash, uh, dry and post expose the plate. So at the end, it's ready to just go straight on the press instead of having somebody put it in the washout, close the lid, start the brushes, put it in the dryer, post expose, you know, it just takes wow. out three steps. That's um, amazing. But I'm working on different brushes. It works incredibly for, for one material right now. And um, I am fine tuning it and MacGyvering it to work for everything that we can put through it very soon. So, you know, there's in, in that respect, yes, there is stuff that you need to do to make sure it fits because there's there's big differences between the different materials that everybody orders, whether it's well, a jet or a 95 or a 152. I wow. can tell you too, every time we make an adjustment here, I mean, it's just like, it's just like with a press, right? If you use a different type of paper, you're going to get a different result after so long, you need to get new rollers. You know, sometimes certain inks lay a different way. Same thing for us. It could be my tried and true exposure unit that I've had for a bazillion years. But when we have to change the cover sheet, which is called the cream, beep, set you back yeah. to ground zero and, and you run pulse. your whole morning <laughs> testing, testing, stouffering, um, and, and getting you know, getting the number right because the cream is just like a, it's, it's a thin, you know, film type material. So every time you blast light through that, you know, it's getting thinner and it's getting weaker. So when you put a brand new one on and it's at full thickness, you really have to adjust your timing. And it's like, Whoa. And, you know, sometimes we can do everything we've done. And it'd been right 10 times. And then when it comes to the 11th time, it's like, it calls for adjustment because every time you kick those lights, they get a little dimmer. Every time you pull that cream, it gets a little thinner. Every time you wash a plate, the water gets a little muddier. So it is, it is, um, you know, it is a set standard of steps, but there are variables and they are, in my opinion, constantly changing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what lights also change. And then when you change the lights, Hey, they're, they're hot lights. Yep. And then you got to burn them in. And, you know, there's just so many critical factors, um, which is why I like led technology. So in my, but in my flexographic plates, I run a lot of, uh, plates through my ESCO XPS, which is an led exposure unit. Um, and they, uh, ESCO, which is a big graphic arts company, manufacturer, imagers, all sorts of different stuff. And, they actually certify plates. So these letterpress plates, they're not certified on this. So I can't use it just yet. Um, you know, it, it, a lot of them still need to be creamed. A lot of people like the analog plates being film based on the, 
on the polymer to create your exposures. Um, so, but there's a lot of different companies coming out with different LED exposures um, that will accommodate green and stuff like that. So that's always something that's kind of on my radar to, to look at because it will then take away one of those problems, which is bulbs getting hot, bulbs getting old, these LEDs just, I mean, they're, they're 50,000 hours as opposed to, as opposed to 600 hours lamp life. So. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's nice to hear that there's still like so much development happening in that like sector of the industry though, mm-hmm. that like new technology is like kind of constantly being developed. Oh, for sure. You yeah. Know, whether it's different screening technology. And that's another thing that we've kind of applied is some, some principles with flexo screening for people who want to do half tones. Um, you know, there's, uh, one thing that letterpress printers never think of is docking. So, you know, anytime you impress something, uh, that dot, that paper is going to absorb your, the dot. Say you wanted to print a half tone. That's a picture of, uh, you know, the moon or something like that. You know, you may have some dots at 70 and 80%. There's no way they're going to print 70 or 80%. They're going to print more like 90, 95. And you're going to be like, where is everything? So you need to scale back your tonal range. So um you, you're going to have to make that uh 50 like the 50 percent dot that's in there go into photoshop and curve it back or we can do it for you um and actually pull it back to more like a 25 30 and then with that docking it's going to bring it back up to that 70 or 60 or whatever you're trying to achieve so that's always something to think of when you're trying to print you know a tone scale you know which is something that i've you know i've worked with the, you know, after before, and she wants to make multiple shades of colors with one ink. So, say she is looking for a watercolor type, uh, watercolor type effect. Um, you know, my advice was to just get 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 percent, you know, and then get one plate with this tonal range and then just print it, print it with different inks and whatever else. And anytime you need to go back to your color book and say, I want to achieve this, but don't want to get another plate, and I'm printing this color anyways, all right, that's the shade I like. And then you know how to tint your how to tint your image. That's smart. Amazing. It's it's kind of like the printable palette uh, yeah. that Lainey created, but in a different format. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love all these creative solutions that people come up with, uh, and it's so helpful when you can you know you have a, a vendor that you work with that you can actually ask those questions and get that help and get that kind of instruction. It's kind of like you were learning to emboss Jillian. Like you know you probably it would have been way harder to just order a whole bunch of plates and different like line thicknesses and different like ratios rather than just ask the question and get the best advice from people who know better, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. Okay. I have to ask, um, do, do either of you print? Have you printed? Does anyone in your family print uh, or have you always been kind of on the pre-press side of things? Always on the pre-press side. We do not yeah. do any printing. Yeah. Um, we're, I, I often say we're not printers, we're plate makers. So someone will say to me, well, will this look okay? And, I, and I'm like, I, I mean, I think so, but what are you looking to achieve on the, on the final product, which is a challenge for us sometimes because I see something and it comes in color separated or ganged in this huge, uh, you know, file. And I don't know what the end product is going to look like. I'm really looking at it more from an engineer standpoint. Like, is it thick enough to hold? Is it hundred percent black? Is it vector art? Is it in the right format versus like, is it going to look you know, is it going to look good? Because for me, that's an, um, it's a a subjective opinion. Right. And, um, 
So although we don't print, we do, we do have the knowledge and skills to help, but I love that we don't print because I want our, our customers, our printers to feel comfortable reaching out to us and knowing that they have total security in what they send to us. Um, whether it be another designer's work, their own work, a custom card line, a one of a kind sketch, like whatever it may be. I, I I like that. We don't print that. We only do the, the pre-press side. I, I, it's always been seen as a big conflict of interest for our business, you know, and not just in the letterpress side, but in the flexographic, I mean, you know, maybe we see the same jobs from different customers, you know, and we can't, that's, I mean, why would, and then what if we printed that stuff, you know, and then we went after that customer, you know, that's, it's a conflict of interest that we're not interested in ever being a part of. So we have our customers and we will service them to whatever their needs are and do not share anything between customers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Plus like the plate making process. I mean, that is like such a beast of its own. And so just to like, keep all of your focus on that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's so smart yeah. because no, then sure. you get, then you get into printing and it's like, that's a whole other animal. And you know, it keeps us third party in every situation. So for me, in the end, I don't have to worry about the bride and her mom. I just have to keep <laughs> Jillian happy. You know, yeah. I don't have to worry about 50 different, um, you know, companies that produce their own bread. I just have to keep one manufacturing house in uh, Massachusetts happy. So that takes the stress, um, you know, off of us as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's completely fair. (laughs) You have enough to manage over there. Exactly. So we did a smaller episode on photopolymer plates earlier in our first season. And we just talked about like the things that we had learned from online as far as like care for our plates and all of that. But we would love to hear it from the people who make the plates. Um, What would you recommend to our listeners as far as cleaning and storing plates that they do intend to reuse at some point down the road. Yeah. So I always recommend that people store the plates exactly as they're sent to you. So make sure that you keep them in the bag with the piece of plastic. That's really important because um, temperature does affect the plates. So we've come to find in the past, if you put multiple plates in a bag or even just one plate in a bag without that plastic sheet in front, you could run the risk of it actually fusing to the other um, item. So I find it's best to keep them exactly as they arrive. Um, in the bag with the plastic sealed, it's recommended to keep them in a temperature controlled environment and out of direct sunlight. Um, It is a characteristic of the plate to curl. It's just, it's, it's an unfortunate characteristic, especially if you use 152, you're way more susceptible to it. Um, So I always tell people if that's the issue, you can, you can always keep it in some sort of binder or put something that's going to put a little bit of pressure on the plate to try to uh, flatten it out before you use it. Um, Here, when we're cleaning our plates, we use a product called work beater. It's just a, 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 it's an industrial degreaser. That's yeah. Um, and we use a lint, a lint free cloth. I mean, I have, um, actually recently saw people, um, using baby wipes, but putting them through the dryer first to, um, make them lint free and using that to, uh, with their solution to clean off the front of their plates. I personally haven't tried it, but I want to, because I think it would be more cost effective Yeah. Um, in the end than these fancy lint re, uh, lint free, um, 
rags, but you know, you'll want to avoid something that's going to eat away at the plastic plate. So we really try to try to avoid using stuff like alcohol um, on the plates, you know, just like a simple soap based solution gets, gets it done. Yeah. That's super. It also depends on your ink too. I mean, well, it depends on what you're using, how you, you know, you have to, you have to experiment and match up what works best for you and what aids the longevity of the plates. But lucky enough, you know, plates are reasonably priced over here. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And you know, they don't last forever. They well, to the don't. point yeah. of the longevity of the plate, you know, um, like we have some customers when they're ordering something and maybe uh, it's going to be a heavy run for them, or they know it's on a really difficult, very textured paper. I'll see that they'll step it four up on an eight by 12 and they'll order four of them. And that for me, isn't like, Oh, they don't think the quality of the plate's good. It's just that they know, Hey, listen, when I'm working with this machine, with this paper, with this level of impression, this many times, one plate ain't going to get it done. And I, I think that's important because I think sometimes people will run a plate and they'll hit, they'll hit run number 400 and they'll go, well, the dot fell off, you know, the plate's bad. And it's like, if, if the plate works 399 times, you know, it's, it's essentially, you know, the plate was good. Um, but that, that is a factor that comes into place when you're, when you are, um, you know, when you're printing all those different variables. Um, so it's something that I recommend for customers too. Like, Hey, listen, if you've got a small job, um, and you know, you're running challenging paper, like step it a couple of times on the plate, gang it, cut it out real tight. That way you give yourself a couple of extra, because in the end, if you don't need to use them, the cost is so minimal compared to rushing out a new plate, having to have it overnighted, missing that time on press, having those ones go through the press that aren't usable, having the waste in paper, et cetera. You know, it's, it's something to, it's something to think, to think about because as much as we love photopolymer, it's just like Max said, I mean, it it doesn't last forever. And I think there is this impression that I'm going to buy this plate and it's going to last me 20 years. And if it doesn't, then it's a bad plate. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, They're good for what they're good for, but from our end, it is a more disposable method of, uh, of letter versus versus a metal. Yeah. Versus versus like a metal. plate. Yeah. Which still yeah. has their own faults and longevity issues as well, depending on what oxidation, those kind of things, warping, yeah. dings and dents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah dings sure. and dents. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the last thing I kind of wanted to just talk about, just maybe have you go over kind of um, what you offer, especially like the raw materials that for people who make their own plates. All right. Awesome. So we, we do offer some raw materials um, to help you guys out, but right now, everybody's feeling that strain of availability. Yeah. Ultimately, I'd like to say, you know, the, the pandemic, the big old nasty P word, um, put, put a squeeze on the material because there was a major manufacturer jet who stopped producing the material at that time. So by the time it kind of all funneled down, it put, it put Toyobo, which is the main photopolymer producer at this point for letterpress. Um, it, you know, it, it bounds them up, right. Because then Mm -hmm. they had all these customers reaching out to them. So it kind of created a, um, you know, a clog in the pipeline, which two years later, I mean, we're still kind of feeling the squeeze on, but I, I I love, because I know one of the questions was, you know, what kind of advice would you have for people who are, who want to make their own photopolymer plates? And my advice would be, don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) I say that that wholeheartedly. No, listen, honestly, if you want to do it, you can, but there's so many, um, important variables that go into it. And we're so, 
fast and we're so cheap and we're so friendly. Yeah. I think a lot of the time it's just easier to, to, you know, reach out to us because I hear all the time, like, can you use this file to make a plate? Yes. I can make a plate out of anything. Will you like how it prints is the final question. And ultimately I think as, um, a letterpress burner who wants to make their own plates, I think the, the biggest cost, um, is the imaging equipment. So you can, imaging yeah, is I mean, everything. Yeah, you can take a, a piece of unexposed polymer, you can lay an inkjet film on it, you can let the sun expose it and then wash it out by hand in your kitchen sink. But are you going to get the same quality that you're accustomed to getting from, you know, a plate manufacturer? No, you won't. And depending on what you're doing, it could be great. Some people really with letterpress, they love that it's perfectly imperfect. They, they like um, the raw look. And then there's others who really want their digital letterpress to be I mean, they want their letterpress to almost look digital, like they want it to be perfect. And if you're on that side where, where you're a little bit more controlling and you want all the details to be held really fine and to look really great, making your own plate is, is going to be more challenging, especially if you don't have that imaging equipment. Yeah. So and that was- it, That's it, the real barrier to entry right there is imaging. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, a good laser could be $250,000. Yeah. It's yeah. pricey. We kind of had the same advice at the end of our last episode because my husband's an engineer and after seeing um, a little demonstration down at the print museum, he was like, oh, I bet I can do that. And I was like, challenge accepted. Mm -hmm. And we sure did set up like a little home like exposure thing and used just, it was just hysterical how bad it went. <laughs> <laughs> I always like, I always think about like, I don't know if many people had this experience, but in like high school science class, when you did like the tin can or maybe it was middle school, but like the tin can photos where you literally just oh, took yeah. the unexposed, like out into the sun. And, you know, I always think of like, that's what my homemade plates are going to look like versus like an actual professional print. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. That's kind of how I might get that. If you can yeah. read something I mean, off of a sun plate, you might be lucky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, the beauty, exactly. the beauty of, of, of being a designer, being a printmaker is like, I mean, it, it can be whatever you want it to be. And some people, they want to have that full hands-on experience and they want to do it from start to finish. And that's absolutely great. You know, it's just, you have to accept the quality that you receive along the way and, and be okay with that. And um, we've just found that in the end, nothing matches the quality of a professionally made plate. It's, it, it's easier to dumb something down from perfect than it is to make something imperfect up to perfect. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's, you know, what you put in is what you get out, but you can yeah. always drop, you can always drop it down. You can always extend your ink and do different things to get different effects. Um, yeah. But to start with something and to expect perfection where it's not there, then you're going to have a problem. Yeah. I love that. That sounds like yeah. a, a great note to wrap this up on. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Um, let's quick go over where everyone can find you guys, which first off, we have to mention that we've listed you in our letterpress supply guide. So for yes. anyone listening, well, thank you very much. If, if you want to find out some of the other vendors, you can go on our website, hotoffthepresspodcast.com to get the guide. But if you need some plates, We've got the person for you. So um, Max, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you? Uh, well, you can find us online at conquerdengraving.com. 
Um, you can reach out to Shelly. Uh, she is your best point of contact for anything letterpress. Uh, I'm more in the background, making sure, you know, the processing and everything goes, but she is the point of contact. Um, we also have, we have an email job box that's film at conqueredengraving.com. And her email is Shelly with an EY auto at conqueredengraving.com. And I'll let her kind of finish this one up. Follow us on Instagram. There you go. That's the stuff I forget. That's what she's here for, Connect making the big us. bucks. If you can do anything, yes, if you can do anything to support a small business, when you see that post, like it, please. No, yeah. Um, yes, please. We redid our website recently, so we're very proud of um, the website. We do have a file submissions page, so you can feel free to send inquiries through the file submissions page, live jobs. My email is also located there. You can feel free to reach out to me. And yes, like us on Instagram. Follow us on Facebook. <laughs> I love it. Well, we'll definitely yeah. share your Instagram with everyone and we'll have links in the show notes for the podcast episode where people can find you and learn more about you and everything uh, as well. So um, awesome. awesome. Yay. Yes. Well, thank you guys so yeah. much. Thank, thank you too. You. We appreciate the opportunity. I, I really do. This is the first time for us. First podcast. So very well, excited. You did great. Right. Thank you. Thank you so <laughs> yeah. much. Awesome. All right. Thanks All right. guys. Yeah. Jillian, great to finally meet you. Oh, <laughs> yes. Same. It's so, it's so nice. Yes, you too. And you guys have a wonderful week, okay? Uh, okay, awesome. you too. Bye. Enjoy the rest Bye. of the vacation. Bye. Okay, well, that was great. Um, Shelly and Otto have... Uh, Shelly, <laughs> I keep wanting to call Max Otto because... <laughs> My dog's name is Otto, so I was like latched on to the fact that his last name is Otto. I'm like, Otto, I know that. <laughs> really funny. Sorry. I I ruined both of us for this with my dog's name Otto. Um yeah, they were they've gained a new customer with me. I can't wait to order plates next week. Um yeah, love Shelly. She's super sweet. I'm very excited to like work with them. And it's also just really cool to see people still advancing technology in relation to letterpress stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. It's not dead. It is not dying. We are still working to make it even better. You know, like, I think that's super cool. Um, that's probably what I am most excited about is that, like, we don't have to just stick with, like, the same old, you know, exposure technology. We can use this advanced technology to our benefit, even with our 110-year-old printing presses. Um, so I think that's super cool. I really, I really appreciate that. Um, that he's yeah. putting so much energy into like developing everything further. You know, it's like technology is so quick to develop. It's like, why not use that to our advantage in every possible case and for them to make it more efficient, more cost-effective, like that benefits everybody, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really impressed with how much they're able to do with such a small team. And, you know, I'm of course grateful for the amazing price on plates because, like that's a huge thing for us it just uh is. yeah the bottom line is important it might be the most important part of business <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> arguably you know well that was delightful I'm so glad that we had them on and um I know we already mentioned it but I'm gonna mention it again they're one of our vendors in our letterpress supply guide. So if you really enjoyed finding this new vendor, if you haven't heard of Concord Engraving prior to listening to this episode, there may be some other new vendors in that supply guide for you. Um, so go on over and 
check that out. You'll be supporting the podcast. That gives us more opportunity to expand and grow and get even more guests on to tell us amazing stories. (laughs) Yeah, we, um, you know, we're working on developing some new things, hopefully some merch coming soon. But ultimately, like we're trying to create things that will benefit the letterpress community. And that includes gathering resources like Concord Engraving that people may not know about. And they are 25 cents per square inch cheaper than some other places. Um, So it's very important to have all of these options to choose from. You know, not only are they amazing, but they also are less expensive, realistically. Um, So, you know, hopefully you've learned about a new vendor today. And if you buy the guide, you'll learn about about 50 more. So, um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) we're doing it for you guys, all right? Um, But also, you know, like we've tried different vendors. We've worked with different companies. We've used almost all of those vendors in the guide and for, you know, various reasons, different projects, different types of jobs. And, you know, we've, we've, what am I trying to say? I don't know. Um, I don't know. (laughs) Either way, we've used most of the vendors in the guide and we uh, have explored the internet to the depths of Briar Press and Letterpress Commons. And we have scoured the Facebook comment sections and we have dug up every possible thing we could find. Um, So there's lots of options in there. And hopefully, you know, there's not just one company for anything. And there may be favorites, but there's not just one company for everything. Um, so, you know, Oh God, stop me, please. <laughs> Sorry. I had to sneeze for like the whole last two minutes. I was, I, was really just, I was just really waiting for that to happen, but it didn't. So whatever. <laughs> this is going to require some heavy editing. Uh, um, okay. Wait, I did have something I want to say. Oh, and also, um, we add to this guide. So I just found out a new vendor yesterday that, um, I'm really excited about adding because, um, they're like one of the best at what they do. So it is an ever growing list of places that you can shop yeah. for all your amazing letterpress items. And when we do update it, whether that's adding or changing or updating uh, links and things, you automatically get the new version. It's not like you have to repurchase it. It's going to always be yours. So um, you'll get an email with the updated guide. So it's super easy um, and you'll never like miss out on anything that we add to it or change on it. So um, yeah. So more to come. Yay. Yay. Mariah, it's so lovely to see your face (laughs) this early in the morning. (laughs) I know you're so lucky you're not in California time right now because it'd be it would be like six a.m. It'd be seven now, but uh, yeah, that's that's a that's too early. Um, yeah, that was great. We heart Shelly and Max. Also, we heart their last name Otto. Um, and yeah, yeah, great. Come hang out with everyone on Instagram. Follow us. Follow Concord Engraving. <laughs> we will see you next week. Bye. Just delete this whole recording and let's start again. (laughs) Yeah, should we? No. (laughs) You can salvage it, I'm sure.